You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Here's Nate. Well, as we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, it's, it's really important for us to remember the context in which Paul is speaking. Paul is talking to the Ephesian church. These people have come out of gross immorality and paganism to embrace Christ. And Paul has been building for a couple of chapters now the case for a new humanity and a new community that they have together in Christ. And in their relationships with one another, he rebukes things like sexual immorality, covetousness, impurity, uh, foolish uh, talking and filthiness. Uh, And he, he pushes that out and says, you need to put off the old man and put on the new man. He, you need to uh, not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Address one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, he leaves off with this statement, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So In the body of Christ, overall, there's to be a pervasive attitude of submission. Now, love keeps us from uh, chasing submission out to some illogical, abusive extreme. But the question then is, how does that submissive attitude pertain to the relationships that we have uh, to one another? And Paul will specifically now take a break from talking to the body of Christ in general and talk to married people within the body of Christ specifically. And I mention all that because one of the first words that he communicates is often a controversial word to some. When Paul says in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I mention the context in one sense just to remind us that before this context where Paul is talking to married couples and tells wives, firstly, to submit to their husbands, uh, he had, in verse 21, actually told the body of Christ to submit to one another. There's to be a a deference to one another, a care for one another, a thinking of each other's needs. But here now he speaks to husbands and wives. And in one sense, Paul is saying stuff here that is uh, fairly countercultural to the Ephesians and also fairly countercultural for us as well. Now, just so that we understand that Paul really meant what he said, we read in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul speaks to husband and and wives again. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So he's willing to repeat this pretty risky exhortation for husbands to submit to their wives uh, as to the Lord or as is fitting in the Lord. So this helps us because 
Paul had told us to submit to one another. So the question, of course, would be, does that mean that the order of church and family and the workplace and government no longer apply amongst Christians? If I'm a Christian employee and I show up to work and my boss is a Christian employer, uh, do do I submit to him and he submits to me as well because we're Christians? Well, in some spheres, there would be a mutual submission, but not in the work sphere. As the employee, your role is to follow the employer's lead, even as a Christian. And in the home, there is still an order that God has designed. Now, unfortunately, for some people, this uh, order has done a couple of negative things. For one, some people have thought that this order has signaled inferiority. But in actuality, there's no inferiority implied here in the slightest. Uh, every man and every woman is uh, equally valuable in the sight of God. But there is an order inside of the home. Just like, by the way, there is order within the triune Godhead. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So you look at that order and you understand that in a home, a man is to lead his wife. Uh, and in the triune Godhead, the father led uh, the son. The head of Christ is God, he says. Now, this begs the question, does that mean that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is inferior to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father? No, the first, second, and third person uh, persons of the Trinity uh, do not signal inferiority. They are equal, and in fact, they are one. Just as with a husband and a wife, they are co-equal uh, together. But there is one who has not the position of superiority, but the role of leadership. And there is a major, major difference. The other negative thing that this has sometimes done is it has caused some brutal men to think that this somehow permits bullying or brutality. And to that, it's important to remember that this is not a standalone verse. We're to remember the context. So we're to put off the old man, put off the old nature, and put on the new man. And we're also to remember what follows. Paul is going to tell husbands to do something that is so extremely difficult to love their wives with the same kind of quality of love as Christ who loved the church and laid down his life for her. So obviously, this submission does not give a husband permission to be a brutal or bullish kind of man. If I were to put a definition on it, I would say it like this. Submission does not mean, uh, and we would say it this way, no inferiority from one to the other, but the wife makes a choice to place herself as an equal underneath another equal, her husband, in order that there can be order and function in the marriage and family.
So how does a woman do this? Well, she submits to her husband uh, as to the Lord there in verse 22. She follows him. She respects him. She uh, gets behind him as to the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Unfortunately, some have taken this in two extreme uh, ways. Uh, one is to say, I will follow my husband as long as he acts like the Lord. <laughs> and uh, that's the error that the wife would make. And the husband sometimes makes the mistake to think, uh, you need to follow me uh, like I am the Lord. And, you know, have that brand of respect for me like I'm Jesus himself. That's the error that a husband would make. No, uh, to follow your husband as to the Lord is, what this means is that as you're submitting to your husband's leadership, it's as if you are in a sense worshiping the Lord and following the Lord as you follow your husband. Now, there will be times where this is an unequal kind of arrangement. Uh, he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, that there will be women who are married to unbelieving men, and they are to, uh, like Sarah, obey, who obeyed Abraham, called him Lord, and he says, you're her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And you just imagine what it was like to be Sarah, the wife of Abraham. You know, this man who, who led her all over the world, and at times told her, hey, listen, lie to this king. Tell him that you're my sister, not my wife, in order to preserve and protect my life. You know, in those moments, she had to, and, and as she submitted to her husband Abraham, she had to, in her mind, say to herself, listen, I'm doing this, and I'm trusting the Lord here, and honoring the Lord with this decision, and following the Lord, not following you because this is an untrustworthy decision that you're making but he also says there in verse 23 back in ephesians 5 he says for the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior so he says listen uh, another way that you're to follow your husband is to realize his headship he does have a very important position uh, in your life you think about the headship of christ in the church you know, we're concerned with what his will is for us. He's our leader. We receive our life from him, direction from him. And we're vitally connected to the life of Christ. And of course, this works best in a marriage when a husband has Christ as his head. So it bears repeating that a woman should be careful whom she chooses to link herself up to. But the church in its role as the follower of Christ, is interested in his leadership and in his direction. And then beyond that, verse 24, he says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. There is this wholehearted devotion to her husband. You think about the church and its response to the leadership of Christ the church is at its best when it's not lukewarm in its response, but it is all in in its response to the Lord. Just really 
interested in following the Lord, all about the Lord, and zealous for the Lord. Now, this isn't going to lead a wife to begin to write her own hymnal to her husband, but to have a real strong devotion without manipulation, but just being a person that says, I am completely, fully behind you, and I support you, and I'm with you. This does wonders for a husband to have a wife who supports him in this kind of way. You know, a manipulative, uh, controlling kind of woman who is still the head and can't allow her husband to become that head in her relationship and family, doesn't understand that he is, whether she likes it or not, in that role. That woman kills her relationship with her husband. But the woman who is just wholeheartedly behind her husband, realizing that, you know, he's human. And whoever's in charge is going to make mistakes. And, you know, a good man is going to, of course, bounce ideas off of her, is going to consult with her, receive counsel from her, is going to be willing to be approached by her. And at times, even through her, in a sensitive kind of way, be corrected by her, uh, this man is still the leader. And a woman who comes behind this leader is going to build up her marriage in such an incredible way. Now, if a wife is chiefly to follow her husband, then what is a husband chiefly to do for his wife? Well, he says there in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word. So a husband is to love his wife. Now really, when you think about this, both of these things that Paul is holding out to husbands and wives are incredibly difficult. I can't imagine what it's like for a woman to have to follow the lead of her husband. I mean, to some degree, I can because there have been plenty of leaders that God has placed in my life that they're in the position of leadership and perhaps uh, are in a dry patch in their leadership. They don't have very strong vision or direction or bumble and fumble certain decisions. And yet it's not for me to rise up against them because, well, I'm to submit to their leadership. I'm to follow their lead. So in one sense, I can understand some of the difficulty, but then again, I've never had to live with one of those leaders or raise a family with one of those leaders. It's an entirely difficult and different thing. Uh, but here, you look at what a husband is to do. He's to love his wife as Christ loved the church. This is a sacrificial, laying down your life, incredibly high standard version of love, the love of Christ. So how is a, a husband to love his wife? Well, notice there, he loves her extremely sacrificially extremely sacrificially. He says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is not some pansy, uh, uh, you know, romantic kind of love. It is whole 
hearted, passionate, lay down your life, give up your life kind of love. And you think about the way that Christ laid down his life for the church. Well, he left his position of comfort. Some husbands will not leave the couch or leave the remote control. But a Christian man is no longer a boy, but a man. His wife is not his mother to take care of him. His wife is a person that he wants to lay down his life to take care of her. He considers her financially. He uh, is generous with her, gives gifts to her, is considerate about giving up his life. Christ incarnated for us. He became one of us. And a husband can understand and, 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 and attempt to uh, get to know his wife and to try to, in a sense, incarnate, not to become a woman, but to attempt to understand who she is and to respect and to love the difference. Uh, Christ also loved a church that had not yet arrived. He saw something beautiful that was not yet. And a good husband loves his wife, even though she has not yet arrived. She is not yet perf perfected. She is not yet glorified. He believes in her. He sees these things in her. Christ loved the church by spending time with the church. An, uh, immense amounts of time with the disciples. And a poor husband will wander from his wife, will leave his wife. So the sacrificial love of a husband ultimately pictured in the death of Jesus Christ. He will die uh, to himself, die for his bride. And this is required in a good marriage, whether it's with wayward children or in sickness or mental sickness or depression or the baby blues or friendship drama, a husband will die for his bride. That, verse 26, sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. A husband will also love his woman by sanctifying her, cleansing her, washing her, uh, producing, uh, he says in verse 27, so that she might, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ worked very hard to cleanse us, wash us, produce something beautiful inside of us. A, a good husband will love his wife in the same kind of way. He'll wash her in the water of the word. He'll be a biblical man. He'll love the word of God. He'll take what she is on her wedding day, and because he loves the Lord, he will then love her, and he will shape her and help encourage her and be such a good man to her that she becomes more beautiful than ever before. He will pray with her and pray for her. He will get into the word with her and discuss the word with her. He will personally walk with the Lord himself. He will encourage her in her walk with the Lord. He will be patient with her. He will not try to fix her. He will instead love her. But Paul goes on to say that in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ 
does the church because we are members of his body. Here I think what Paul is saying is that one of the motivations or one of the best ways for a husband to love their wives is in a self-satisfying kind of way. In other words, Christ so connected himself to the church that his joy is now connected to our well-being. You might remember when Saul was persecuting the church. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Christ was sad because of the sadness that was being caused to his bride. And husbands have a chance to, and a choice in front of them to connect themselves to the well-being of their wives. Our joy is now connected to the well-being of our wives. Now, some have a wrongful statement of happy wife, happy life, meaning cower to your wife. Just let her do whatever she wants to do. Uh, and she'll let you fly under the radar. You'll have a happy life. But there is a sense in which that is true. We're to love our wives as our own bodies, you know, as we nourish our wives, as we cherish our wives, as we, you know, consider them and bless them and, and you know, care for them, we're actually benefiting ourselves in a great way. So many men, their frustration, their anger, their bitterness, it's so often rooted in the reality that they are shooting themselves in the foot on a daily basis as they refuse to love their wives and care for their wives. There is great joy that comes into their lives as they bless their wives, encourage their wives, help their wives, nourish and cherish their wives as Christ nourished and cherished the church. Now, after saying all of this, Paul puts down on paper some of the most profound statements concerning marriage that I think perhaps have ever been written. He says in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, quoting from the famous passage there in Genesis chapter 2. This mystery, verse 32, is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so Paul basically tells them three things here. Number one, in conclusion about marriage, make sure that you are really leaving your family, holding fast to your wife, and practicing the one fleshness that is now yours. You are one in Christ. You need to realize your deep need for one another. Now, when you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and study the original marriage, you, you observe that God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And so man realized his deep need as God gave him a responsibility for naming the animal kingdom. And they formed this new identity, this oneness together. And to cultivate that oneness, you are now one flesh. So cultivate as a married couple that oneness uh, together. Not to live as two individuals that are under the same roof, but as two people who are actually so connected that they are one together. And so 
uh, Paul exhorts them. You are one flesh, and I would exhort every married man or woman or listening to this, cultivate the oneness that is yours in your marriage. Marriage just goes better when behaving like one instead of uh, two. I've heard Pastor Mark Driscoll use the analogy, and I think it's a good one, where he said that some marriages are a back-to-back style of marriage, and there are times where you need to fight together and support one another in that way. Other marriages are simply shoulder-to-shoulder. We kind of help each other in life. We're headed in the same direction with the same goals, but other marriages are face-to-face, and that's really the sweet spot inside of a marriage that close connection and relationship with one another. Now, in verse 32, Paul pointed out this mystery. He says this mystery uh, refers to Christ and the church. In other words, marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. Now, there are other reasons for marriage, like companionship from Genesis uh, 2 and help also from the same passage, godly families, personal growth and maturity. But one of the most mysterious meanings for marriage is to understand that it is a picture of the devotion between Christ and his church and the church and Christ. In other words, it is good for us to understand the absolute sacredness of marriage. Uh, God shares his name with fathers, calls himself a father, and calls dads fathers as well. And he shares the name of his relationship with his people. He shares that name with a husband and a wife. He, he looks at his church and says, I am married to you. He looks at men and women who covenant with one another and says, and you are also married to each other. And here's a question. Does your marriage reflect the relationship between Christ and his church? Just a powerful thing to consider. The sacredness of the relationship between Christ and his church. Now in verse 33, we have, I think, the greatest and strongest verse concerning marriage in all of God's word. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think that Paul is bringing this back down to earth again, beyond the mysteries of what it means to, uh, for Christ to be married to the church and for marriages to represent Christ. He brings us back to what he'd been communicating all along. And he says, listen, a husband is to each one of you. This is what you're to do. And I love that phrase, each one of you. We're to focus on ourselves here, not our spouse, not other marriages, but each one of you. He says, you know, for husbands, love your wife, as yourself. That agape love of God, you know, listen to her, don't be lazy, take her out on dates, call her, write to her, give gifts to her, help her, enjoy her physically, serve her, love your wife, pour out your love and affection towards her. And wives, uh, make sure, he says, see that she respects her husband. This is what husbands and wives ultimately are looking for. And these are the things that probably are least natural to us. A wife becomes very frustrated because her husband just seems to be so dense when it comes to expressing love, and she has no problem expressing love to him. And he becomes frustrated because 
She seems to have such a difficult time at understanding the concept of simple respect and just admiring him and thinking the world of him because he thinks the world of her and easily respects her. Uh, but the reality is that what we can easily do isn't what our partner necessarily needs most. A husband needs that respect, needs that honor, and a wife needs that love. And sometimes a marriage enters into a crazy vortex of negativity when the opposite is given. And love is withheld, and then honor is withheld, and as honor is withheld, more love is withheld. But when a, one person takes the step of giving what the other needs, then the other typically will respond with some of that love or respect that's needed. And the marriage can enter into a great season of health and prosperity. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.